0: Thanks for joining us at Keys for SLPs, opening new doors for speech-language pathologists to better serve clients throughout the lifespan. A weekly audio course and podcast from SpeechTherapyPD.com. I'm your host, Mary Beth Hines, a curious SLP who embraces lifelong learning. Keys for SLPs brings you experts in the field of speech-language pathology, as well as collaborative professionals, patients, and caregivers to discuss therapy strategies, research, challenges, triumphs, and career opportunities. Engage with a range of practitioners from young innovators to pioneers in the field as we discuss a variety of topics to help the inspired clinician thrive. Each episode of Keys for SLPs has an accompanying audio course on speechtherapypd.com available for point 0.1 ASHA CEUs, We are offering an audio course subscription special coupon code to listeners of this podcast. Type the word KEYS for $20 off. With hundreds of audio courses on demand and new courses released weekly, it's only $59 per year with the code word KEYS. Visit SpeechTherapyPD.com and start earning ASHA CEUs today. Welcome to this episode of Keys for SLPs, Keys to Therapeutic Horseback Riding and Hippotherapy for the SLP. I am Mary Beth Hines. Before we get started, we have a few items to mention. As a reminder, if you are joining us for the live course and your state license requires live CEUs, be sure to complete all course modules, including the one that says quiz before the end of the day today on your speechtherapypd.com account. We encourage questions from our participants. You can put your questions in the chat box for our guests to answer at the end of the episode or throughout the episode. Here are the financial and non-financial disclosures. I am the host of Keys for SLPs and receive compensation from speechtherapypd.com. Perry Flynn is the consultant to the North Carolina Department of Public Instruction in the area of speech-language pathology and a professor in the Department of Communication Sciences and Disorders at the University of North Carolina, Greensboro. He receives an honorarium from from SpeechTherapyPD.com for this message, for this presentation. (laughs) Perry's non-financial disclosure is that he is a Professional Association of Therapeutic Horsemanship Certified Therapeutic Horseback riding Instructor and a member of the American Hippotherapy Association. Welcome, Perry.
1: Thank you, Mary Beth, and thank you, SpeechTherapyPD.com, for having me here tonight. I feel privileged to talk to you about one of my favorite topics, therapeutic horseback riding and hippotherapy.
0: Well, we are so happy to have you back again. You've joined us for some other podcasts and courses and this subject came up and your excitement about it was very obvious. So, And then in talking to other therapists, a lot of other therapists have been excited to hear about this topic. So we're so happy to have you. And as as we talked before the show, we said that you are very experienced and have a complicated career. And so instead of me reading that bio off we thought that maybe you could share that bio with us tonight before we get started.
1: Sure, I'm happy to tell you about my complicated and long career. Yeah. <laughs> so I tell people I have the coolest job and I truly believe that, but it is complicated. So I am a professor here at the University of North Carolina at Greensboro, and so for the university, I co-teach the clinical practice class with my other colleagues who are clinical educators. And then I co-teach the school-age language class with Alan Kamai. And I don't know if you know that name, but he's a great god of child language and literacy. So it's a great privilege to get to teach with him that course is in the spring semester. The clinical placements that I do are in two therapeutic riding programs. One, I do equine-assisted learning activities. With a high school class of kids with intellectual disabilities at a horse farm. It's really a Girl Scout camp horseback riding program, but the head of the horseback riding program is a friend of mine and a therapeutic riding instructor, too. So we do equine assisted learning activities at that program. And then the other program, we do true hippotherapy, which I'll explain to you in a little while. So That's what I do for the University of North Carolina, Greensboro. And in the in the summertime, we have a camp at the True Therapeutic Riding program, too. And uh, one other sort of interesting thing, I like doing community based kind of work. And so we are now six graduate students and myself are working with a, a local business that is a French restaurant that employs uh, the majority of the people that work there are people with intellectual disabilities. And they teach a course of study that helps people with intellectual disabilities get work in the restaurant business here in Greensboro. And so we teach like a social language class for restaurant, for restaurant skills for that class too. So that's another thing that I do for the university that makes my university work really interesting. So then I'm the consultant to the North Carolina Department of Public Instruction in the area of speech language pathology. And that's a really fancy title for saying that I'm the head of speech pathology for the public schools of North Carolina. So I influence legislation. I influence policy in um, both special education and speech language pathology in particular. I provide either myself or contract to provide the continuing education that the State Department provides, and I do a lot of, you know, answering emails about people's questions and try and uh, publish the latest evidence-based practices in the areas of school-based practice and do technical assistance to directors of exceptional children and speech-language pathologists in our state. So that's my complicated (laughs) job.
0: Well, and I think we just have just found another episode for a podcast. I would love to learn more about that program at the French restaurant and the job training.
1: Right. That's super cool. So we actually have a couple of placements in community based sites. One is also a um, coffee shop that it's called um, Special Blend. That is also a coffee shop that is run by people with intellectual disabilities. And I volunteer there on Saturday mornings, but we have just begun a clinical placement there to do very much the same thing as I do at the French restaurant to help the workers there just have better communication skills on the job. So, yeah, I'd love to do a podcast about, you know, sort of community-based speech language pathology services in very natural environments. So Chez Janice is the French restaurant here that's in town, and Special Blend is the coffee shop.
0: Well, that's great. And as usual, we digress. Oh, yeah. we have a question from someone. Oh, this participant also says that she would like to learn more about that topic. So, okay. yay!
1: <laughs> so you'll have to tune in to whenever the the next course with me comes on, and we'll talk about just that.
0: Oh, that would be great. All right. And tonight we have several participants who can't wait to hear about hippotherapy and therapeutic horseback riding. So let's dive in. Great. All right. So what is hippotherapy, which by the way, is such a fun name. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. I'm so happy that you're answering this because I've mentioned the word to many people and most people are unfamiliar with it.
1: Yeah, really don't know about it. Yeah. So, I'll tell you the quick definition and then I'll read you the American Hippotherapy Association's definition. It's it's using the horse and mostly the movement of the horse to help facilitate Communication. They just talk about the movement of the horse, but I I would also like, for my own personal definition, to extend that to the environment around the horse, because we don't just use the horse and riding and the movement of the horse, but we use the whole farm. I get to work in an amazingly beautiful therapeutic horseback riding program. And I, I think that you are missing if you're not using the environment around the horse and getting to groom the horse and getting them out of their stalls and stuff like that. I think those are also amazing opportunities that we'll probably talk about a little later when we get really deep into the therapy. But, but it, hippotherapy is using mostly the movement of the horse as a tool to facilitate the speech and language goals that you might have. So now I'll read the American Hippotherapy Association's real definition, their own definition. The term hippotherapy refers to how occupational therapy, physical therapy, and speech language pathology professionals use evidence-based practice and clinical reasoning in the purposeful manipulation of equine movement as a therapy tool to engage sensory, neuromotor, and cognitive systems to promote functional outcomes. Best practice dictate, dictates that occupational therapy, physical therapy, and speech language pathology professionals integrate hippotherapy into the patient's plan of care, along with other therapy tools and or strategies. So that's it's using the movement of the horse to. Help facilitate all the kinds of things that we do, and occupational therapy and physical therapy does and I think it hippotherapy really was big among physical therapy professionals, I think when it first got started in this country, but I recently did a course with the American Hippotherapy Association where the presenters Said that speech language pathology is overtaking physical therapy with the people who are enrolling in those courses. So that is fantastic. And I don't find that too unusual when I think about it, because when I travel around the country and speak and talk about my work in therapeutic horseback riding or hippotherapy, in- inevitably a couple of people in the audience say, Hey, I'm doing that, or I'd really like to do that. So I think speech-language pathologists are latching on to it, and even if they're not horse professionals, really uh, starting to engage in some therapeutic horseback riding, hippotherapy kinds of activities, which is exciting. It's fantastic. I'm so happy. It's an amazing, amazing medium to um, carry out our skills.
0: Absolutely. That is interesting that they have overtaken the physical therapists.
1: Yeah, there were. So I think there were like 18 people in this last course that I took, and I think seven of us were speech-language pathologists.
0: Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So how is hypotherapy different than therapeutic horseback riding?
1: Yeah, a great question. So first of all, hypotherapy has to be done by an OT, a PT, or a speech-language pathologist. Therapeutic horseback riding does not. So therapeutic horseback riding can mean that you're teaching real riding skills, and it can be just a recreational activity as well. But so um, similarly to what I read you about the American Hippotherapy Association's definition, I'll read you the Professional Association of Therapeutic Horsemanship Paths definitions of of what um, therapeutic horseback riding is too, and. And very much like the discipline of speech pathology, the scope of practice of therapeutic horsemanship has really expanded tremendously over the years. And I I think you'll see that in as I read the definitions because they're really kind of three definitions. So I'll get started. Equine professionals may offer four distinct non-therapy services that are adapted from traditional equine disciplines of horseback riding. Driving and vaulting. These include adaptive equestrian sport, adaptive riding, and therapeutic riding, driving, and interactive vaulting. So I'll, I'll stop there and talk about that a little bit. So therapeutic horseback riding is is like riding the horse, but also driving uh, for those people, especially that can't ride for probably physical reasons or are afraid to ride a horse, many centers now have like ponies that you can drive in a cart. So that is part of therapeutic horseback riding these days. And then vaulting is also a part of therapeutic horseback riding. That's when you do sort of gymnastics on the back of the horse. Okay. So that's, that's one aspect of it. Equine assisted learning is especially trained or certified professionals may incorporate horses in three distinct non-therapy services, equine assisted learning in education, equine assisted learning in organizations and equine assisted learning in personal development. And so I told you about the, the classroom with kids with intellectual disabilities that we see. So we are doing equine assisted learning and education. So we are tying the the horse farm and the skills around the horse farm to the standard course of study, or those guys are on the extended content standards, the adapted curriculum. So like we're, we're talking about in their curriculum, they talk about the food pyramid and food choices. And so we relate that to food choices and the food pyramid for horses. And they learn about first aid things. We learn about first aid for horses and compare and contrast that to first aid for humans. So there, it's a really very natural, once once you think it through some, it's really a very natural. But businesses, organizations are unit are using equine assisted learning, as as well as personal development people to just study the like interaction of the horse with other horses and with humans, and then relate that to like interprofessional practice among humans and who is the leader of the herd and how the herd interacts with that leader. And it's just really very fascinating. I have not been trained in those two very specific parts of the discipline, but the the equine assisted learning in education is, is my kind of bread and butter for those guys. And then the third part is the licensed therapy professionals may incorporate horses in five distinct therapies, counseling, occupational therapy, physical therapy, psychotherapy, and speech language pathology. So that's what That's what the Professional Association of Therapeutic Horsemanship says. The American Hippotherapy Association really just just advocates the use for OTPT and speech, not not psychotherapy or counseling. As you can see, there is certainly crossover there, but a Venn diagram would be a really good way to describe how they are separate, hippotherapy and therapeutic riding have some very separate qualities to them, but there is also some overlap. And so I really like to live in that overlap area where I'm working on some educational standards at the same time that I'm working on speech and language skills using the movement of the horse, but also using the surroundings of the horse and the barn environment to carry out my goals.
0: Excellent. Excellent. Okay, so that begs the question which a, another participant asked, do most health insurance or do any health insurance companies pay for this and who who or what are the other payer sources?
1: Yeah, so the American Hippotherapy Association struggles with this a good deal. There are no codes for hippotherapy, but it is just speech language pathology ot and pt it just happens to be on the back of a horse you know you could get paid for ot or pt or speech therapy you know walking down the street if you have goals and you're or out in the environment they third-party payers don't really care so much about the environment that it's going on, but they want to see the goals and progress and stuff like that. And all of that is the same. So it is really billed just as a speech pathology session.
0: Okay. However, rent in a a clinic or teletherapy is a lot more economical than That is true. So who are the other supporters of?
1: So most of the therapeutic riding programs, including the one that I work at, have, you know, do a lot of fundraising to underwrite the cost of of these services. And then some parents pay out of pocket. And the parents that we see do both get some scholarship money from the therapeutic horseback riding program and also pay out of pocket. We do not bill Medicaid. I don't know if any of those kids are Medicaid eligible, but we do not bill Medicaid or any third-party reimbursers for the services that I provide. But I will say that many people that provide hippotherapy do bill third-party reimbursers and they just bill it as as a speech therapy session. Okay. It just happens to be on the back of a
0: horse. Okay. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. So can you tell us about the governing bodies in this realm? Sure. We have ASHA, who are the governing bodies in therapeutic horsemanship and hypotherapy?
1: Yeah. So I've, I've you know, the, the two definitions that I've read are come from those associations. So the Therapeutic horseback riding, the governing body is the Professional Association of Therapeutic Horsemanship path. So if you're interested in that, just Google search Professional Association of Therapeutic Horsemanship. And I have created just a small handout and the URL, I think I've included, maybe not. But anyway, if you just Google search, I included the definitions, but not the URLs. If you just Google search that, you can get to that and check out their website, it's a wealth of information. Much of it is public domain, but uh, members, you know, members have to pay dues very much like ASHA and get a magazine much like the ASHA leader and they're is stuff that is behind like a firewall that you have to be a member to get to so that's path the professional association of therapeutic horsemanship and similarly the american hippotherapy association is the same thing it is a credentialing body there are two credentials there i will say i do not hold either of them i have taken all the coursework to hold that credential i just have not taken either of the tests because the therapeutic riding program that I work at, the PATH credential is what they want. And I have the PATH credential. Again, you have to like take courses and have a riding test and a a written test and stuff like that to to be a certified therapeutic horseback riding instructor. And I do have that credential. But Our, I do not hold the American hippotherapy credential. I am a member of the association, mostly because, as I said, the writing program that I work for requires the PATH certification and not the American hippotherapy association. But anyway, the American hippotherapy association supports a lot of research, encourages a lot of research supports a lot of research in OT, PT, and speech. There is a great deal of research in PT, particularly getting to be more in speech, but they have an extensive bibliography. I am not sure if it is public domain or if it's behind the firewall of the membership, but I'm a member of that association. And anyway, several of our graduate students have done some low-level research like single subject design research about the kids that we see at the hippotherapy program.
0: Okay. So there are certain requirements for certification. Just like Asha.
1: Yeah. Asha. Yeah.
0: But how about just membership? What
1: are the yeah. So I think you can be a member of both. So I am just a member of the American Hippotherapy Association. You can be a member, I think, of the Professional Association of Therapeutic Horsemanship without. You know having to have that credential too I, I i know you can there are many volunteers that are that are members of that association too and then also therapeutic horseback riding farms can be members of that association and that is how they get their insurance insurance is super expensive as you can imagine but if you get it through path it is much more reasonable and similarly to how the credentialing body, ASHA credentials graduate training programs, PATH also credentials therapeutic riding programs. They send out inspectors who you know, inspect the program, make sure documentation's being done, make sure that all the safety protocols are in place, and then you are eligible for insurance through them.
0: Okay. Okay. So you have separate insurance for the horseback riding? Exactly. Yes. All right. Okay. Well, we have a very interesting question here. It's not exactly related, but related. Are you familiar with the REST, capital R-E-S-T, CHAIR, by gate, which was designed to mimic the movement of slow walking of a slow walking horse. This person's district just purchased one for use in speech therapy, and would love to know how to integrate it into sessions.
1: Yeah. So I don't, I have heard of it. I don't know about it. I have not seen or used one, but I think that's amazing. Uh, like I would have the kid in the chair, and you know work on like you could work on literacy skills emergent literacy skills you could work on speech skills speech sound disorders i you know the premise of it is that it's sort of a sensory integration tool dare i say those words since sensory integration is somewhat controversial but it sort of, you know, wakes up the senses and helps to integrate them and that movement sort of helps for our skills to get deeper into the brain because of all the movement and stimulation that's going on. So, uh, you know, one of the kids that I'm going to tell you about probably as a case study is a very sensory seeking kind of individual young child and and like she is super attentive and very focused because the movement of the horse is is doing the movement for her when she's off the horse she's self-stemming a lot on her own to provide herself with that that like sensory input she's huge sensory seeking but the horse provides that for her, you know, uh, she, she would live on the back of the pony if she could. And her, her mom would have her live on the back of the pony if she could. Mm-hmm. Too. So I, I think one of my favorite phrases that my occupational therapist uses is a sensory diet. So, you know, I think that chair could be part of a sensory diet for that particular individual that might really help them to sensory integrate. And so I see, is there research on how the movement of the horse? Yes, there is research on how the movement of the horse really contributes to kids' learning. It's mostly in the physical therapy realm, and you can find that research on the American Hippotherapy Association website. If I, I think that the bibliography is in the public domain on the American Hippotherapy website. But there is research, yes. And as I said, it's it's particularly in the area of physical therapy.
0: Okay. And then I think specifically they said on how long they should be on the horse. To- ah, okay. Yeah. I, I am not
1: sure about dosage studies. I, I would think that is a dosage study. And I don't know about dosage studies that talk about Hypotherapy. What what everyone says is, especially starting out, how long the child or or grown up, whoever can tolerate it. Our sessions are about fifty minutes long, so you know, like the probably the length of a pretty typical speech therapy session. Anyway, dosage studies for just speech therapy in general are few and far between and haven't been validated very well. But the American Hippotherapy Association says, you know, once or twice a week for that hour, 50 minute kind of dosage is the ideal. I do it once a week for 50 minutes to an hour with the kids that I see. Okay. And and their parents report that that is really amazing. And especially that day, that evening and into the next day, kids Kids seem to be benefiting from that. That is the variable that that they seem to benefit from. So it lasts about a day.
0: Okay, excellent. So interesting. All right. So before we leave our our credentialing discussion, we, there is another question. So once someone becomes credential, do they are are there continuing education requirements uh, just like we have? just like what we're doing tonight
1: on speech. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. Both of those associations provide courses. There are some courses at conventions that you can take you for the path certification. You have to have it sort of broken down into horseback riding skills, therapeutic horseback riding skills, and special education or disabilities skills. You have to have hours in all those three things. I think it's 30 hours every two years. It it is, you know, fairly rigorous. And then for PATH certification, I mean, for American Hippotherapy Association, something similar, you do have to have continuing education hours to keep your credentials up. They, too, sponsor courses I've I've done. um, They sponsor some some briefer courses than this but before you can take the exam you have to do the level one and level two courses and those are like four days long very intensive all day long kind of things and i've done level one and level two but as i said i just haven't taken the exam because it's 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 like the praxis for us and because of all the other stuff i do i just haven't felt like i have the time to study for that And the credential that my therapeutic riding program wants is the PATH credential. And I do have and hold and continue to keep that credential up. I'd love to sit for the exam, but I got a lot of other things going on.
0: Well, that you do. (laughs) Okay. So how do the Special Olympics, the, the equestrian sport, in the Special Olympics, how does that fit into all of this? Yeah, so Special
1: Olympics also has the equestrian sport, and I'm very involved in that here in North Carolina, and it is, you know, completely in line with therapeutic horsemanship with the path. I think it, there's a continuum along the path, uh, sort of trajectory, and and competition is sort of the end goal for some people and Special Olympics is a competition. Uh, The Paralympics are another competition that therapeutic horseback riding can do. And they do many of the disciplines, dressage and hunt seat equitation and stock seat equitation. That's Western riding, all of those kinds of things. Neither do jumping. I, I do jumping. I have a hunter, a horse that is a hunter jumper, and I do the jumping stuff. But but uh, therapeutic horseback riding does not do jumping and Special Olympics also does not do jumping. So I just see it as a continuum for those people that are engaged in therapeutic horseback riding, that it is a way for them to demonstrate their skills at the competition level. Hippotherapy now, because it is very focused on the therapy of OTPT speech, does not really engage in you know special olympics because that competition is not important in hippotherapy it it may be important in therapeutic horseback riding but i'm i'm a big proponent of what special olympics can provide to riders there are it depends on your state about how involved special olympics is in the equestrian sport it is obviously a very sort of boutique sport and uh quite expensive but many states offer it north carolina does we have some uh local competitions they're they're more like a class or two at a local horse show but then every year we have the equestrian championships and this year we're gonna have an amazing world-class venue in tryon north carolina where the World Equestrian Games were held a couple of years ago here. It's amazing. They are donating everything that Special Olympics does, does not cost money. The training and, and things that, that are done do not cost money. If you're interested in that, that too requires like some continuing education, some credentialing as a coach to coach Special Olympics Equestrian. Check that out in your state or your local Special Olympics program. Most uh, states are arranged by county as as a local program. And maybe you could get involved in Special Olympics equestrian at your local program level.
0: So it sounds like people should really check out what's available to them locally to decide which direction they want to go in. Absolutely,
1: sure, yeah.
0: Really better than the other, it's just a matter of what is available to you in your area. yeah, and I, I think this question
1: comes up in a minute or two, but i'll I'll sort of tackle it now. You don't necessarily have to be a horse person to be you know involved in really any of those sports. there are There are many programs that have speech language pathologists as sort of consultants that are not really necessarily involved in the day-to- day work, but tell the therapeutic riding instructors, you know, what kind of speech and language goals could go on in therapeutic riding session and help those instructors to infuse communication goals in, in the riding. And, you know, you, you can become an American hippotherapy person. You do have to have some horse skills when you go through those trainings, but, you know, you don't have to be, be able to you know jump courses of jumps and stuff like that it is helpful certainly if you feel comfortable with horses and have some horse experience in all of those capacities with special olympics therapeutic horseback riding or hippotherapy but it is not necessary in any of them
0: okay so it's not necessary so what would you if we have someone listening tonight or uh later through a podcast platform and they have no, no experience with horses, but like animals and, and think they like horses, sure. what would the first step be to take?
1: So I would reach out, I would look up on the PATH website, the Professional Association of Therapeutic Horsemanship website, and see where you find a PATH certified program near you. And then you might be in touch with them and say, I'm a speech language pathologist, you know would you have any use for me could i volunteer could i volunteer just as a volunteer or could i volunteer as a speech language pathologist that collaborates with you in some classes or around some kids that have that you identify have some communication needs so i i think that would be a great way to do that and many many people do do it there there are two schools here in North Carolina that have therapeutic riding programs on the campus of the school, they're public schools. And the community has built like a barn and an arena and stuff like that. And then the community contributes horses like a a couple times a week to those places. I, I would caution you about this though. There are a lot of places that call themselves therapeutic horseback riding. And, and they're just like, somebody's dragging a pony out of the field and putting a kid on them. And there, there's just a lot of sketchy stuff, I will say. So I would really encourage you to go and volunteer at either, you know, sanctioned special Olympics programs in your community or path certified therapeutic riding programs or American hippotherapy association sanctioned programs as well those those are you know the gold standard high quality super safe those are the places to go to get okay. started
0: i think that is very helpful to hear from you and good to be cautious
1: absolutely yeah you have to be super careful there there are lots of things that can go wrong and but if you know if you're well trained and the horses are well trained and the facility is safe in every respect then you minimize all those all those things that could go wrong
0: mhm mhm exactly okay so I know many people will would benefit from therapeutic horseback riding. Can you talk about what populations you think or you've had experience with that have benefited most? And then also, what populations would not be candidates for therapeutic horseback riding? Sure.
1: So I've worked, and I'll tell you about this later on, but I'm about to turn 60. And I've been doing this since I was 18 years old, I started volunteering, actually 16 years old, I started volunteering in a program. But so I've worked with many, many different populations. And maybe it would be easiest for me to tell you first about what populations are not good candidates for therapeutic horseback riding. So there, there are some kids with Down syndrome that have atlantoaxial axial instability. That means that the their head is not fused to their spinal cord like ours is and so their their heads can sort of pop off and you certainly don't want that so a simple x-ray that the doctor does most all path certified programs have to do an intake form where they ask for a doctor's release to do therapeutic horseback riding. So for Down syndrome kids, and it says this on the form, you know, a simple x-ray to make sure that they do not have atlantoaxial instability. Kids with rods or or people with rods in their backs for the most part are not good candidates for this. You know, some people who have very rigid legs and can't split enough to sit on the back of a horse. Now there, there are some people that are very tight in those muscles that could split on a very narrow horse. And so lots of programs, you know, have a great variety of horses to meet the needs of all their riders. But if the program doesn't have a very narrow horse, people who are really tight and can't, can't split to, to ride a stride would would not be a good candidate. But those people might be good candidates for driving horses. So anyway, the way to do it is to look at that form and and have a medical release. A doctor has to release them and look at all of those aspects of physical ability and you know, there are some people that are injurious to themselves or injurious to the animal that like would pinch or poke or something at the animal. They are obviously not a good candidate for riding. We, while the horses are not expensive horses, typically, they're typically older horses that have been around the block. They are incredibly valuable horses because of the the job that they do, That um, they carry these people and they're, is a lot of mental health considerations about the horse some of these some people that ride some kids with autism or or other people that have physical disabilities it it is not necessarily super comfortable for the horse sometimes so we really have to take the physical and mental health aspects of the horse especially into consideration with therapeutic horseback riding so part of the PATH certification is to have a plan to manage the mental and physical health of the horses in the therapeutic herd for the program. So got to consider all that too.
0: Absolutely. So how are horses selected for the programs?
1: Yeah. So the PATH has a sort of checklist that you go through. Most programs, I I will say most programs accept donated horses. Some programs purchase horses. The program that I work at does all kinds of things. They accept donations. They accept long-term leases. They have purchased some horses. Anyway, a variety of things. They've saved some horses from really bad fates. Anyway, a variety of, of ways that that they acquire the horses. And then there is typically a about a month period of sort of testing them, having a variety of people ride them and playing the games that some kids do like throwing rings and some people have them like walk across tarps and listen to loud music and the one therapeutic riding program that I worked at during the summers when I was in college we had a very specific protocol that all the horses had to go through. And the sort of end, the test was that we shot a blank's pistol off of them. They had to stand still while we shot a pistol off of them. And if they passed the pistol test, they that lots of people in the horse world say that they are bomb-proof horses. And so that's, you know, that's what we want are bomb-proof horses.
0: Uh, that was a protocol developed by that.
1: Yeah, Path. Uh-huh. Path suggests all the things that you should have horses go through to, to sort of be well equipped to be a therapeutic horse. We we also want sound horses, you know, that don't don't have hurt legs in in one way or, or hurt bodies. There are some some injuries or you know, arthritis or something that that people can live with but there are lots of uh, infirmities, we'll say, that, that you can't live with. And that's part of the management of the, the horses. And you, a good therapeutic riding program has a variety of horses, tall, short, wide, narrow, quick movers, slow movers, very sort of busy movers with a lot of a lot of sensory input and then really quiet movers. And, and part of what the therapeutic horseback riding instructor does is match the horse and their movement to the rider so that we're getting the most at uh, most physically and most physically, mentally, in every way out of time that the person is riding.
0: Now, initially, when a person in therapeutic horseback riding uh, when they start, does the instructor is the instructor actually on the horse with that person? Let's say uh,
1: typically not. So that is yeah. There are some programs that do that. That they might start sort of back riding where the instructor is behind. It's possible. I I think that that was more popular a while ago. It is it is less popular now. I think I have never liked to do that. I feel like that's a lot. On the back of any horse, but you certainly have, are super careful to have uh, sidewalkers, you know, people walking on both sides of the horse doing therapeutic holds on the rider and a leader who is leading the horse too. There are some adapted saddles and adapted equipment that can help people, even spinal cord, people with spinal cord injuries. There are some adapted saddles that um, even people, you know, who have very little control below a certain part in their spine can ride with these adapted saddles that help hold them in.
0: Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, Great.
1: Some, some paraplegic people that that ride.
0: Well, I know we, let's check our time. I want to remind everyone, if you have questions, you can put them in the Q&A or the chat. And let's see here, we're going to get into some case studies. But before we do that, you mentioned that you started working with horses when you were 16. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey with horses? Because you are coming up on a big birthday, so it's been a while.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I I've ridden since I was 10 years old but a friend of mine when I was about 16 a friend that I had through horse showing her farm had a small therapeutic riding program it was a show stable but they also had a small therapeutic riding program and she said oh you know like you you'd be great at doing this why don't you come over she did it herself she volunteered and why don't you come over and so I did and it was amazing and I did it all through high school on weekends. I volunteered at that program, and then uh, this was before I was certified. Uh, so then the the owner of that program got me a job for my summers when I was in college here at U N C G. When I went home in the summer, an amazing uh, like Taj Mahal therapeutic riding program that was owned. Uh, I'm from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and. It was just outside of Pittsburgh called Allegheny Valley School. I think it still exists, but they had a farm off the main campus. It was a campus sort of group home campus for adults with intellectual disabilities. And most everybody traveled one day a week to the barn, to the farm. That was a working farm. We cut hay. The residents helped cut hay. They helped clean stalls. They got to ride every day. We raised pheasants for a release program. It was just an amazing place. They had their own French gardens that we tended every day. Anyway, it was an amazing place. So I got a lot of experience there. And then shortly after that, when I was, shortly after when I was in graduate school, I got certified at the place that I continue to work at here, which is called Horsepower Therapeutic Learning Center in Greensboro, North Carolina. And they, for several years, they sort of worked out of wherever would give them a place. And finally, they were able to buy land and build an amazing million dollar facility on that land. And so, again, like I get to work at sort of a Taj Mahal kind of therapeutic riding program that has a beautiful barn and We have a couple of long sensory trails that have sensory equipment out on the trail and big fields for the horses to be turned out in for a good time of the day. So anyway, the different populations that I've seen, we had a couple of people that were uh, paraplegics at the first therapeutic riding program that I had. One woman was a female jockey and a thoroughbred horse fell on her and severed her spinal cord and she grew to be independent as a rider she was able to get herself on the horse she bought an amazing horse and she was able to go back to the track and work as an outrider back at the track where she worked and then she too got certified as a therapeutic riding instructor
0: oh wow um,
1: so we had a class of 3 people with who were paralyzed like from the waist down and two of them ended up getting their own horses or leasing horses and were just super strong that they were going to learn to do everything for the horse themselves. They, we had ramps, you know, that they could pull their chairs up on and they pulled their chairs up on the ramp. Somebody held the horse for them and they mounted themselves. They got to a place where they eventually mounted themselves. It, it was amazing. It was amazing. So kids with autism respond really well to therapeutic horseback riding, to animals. You know, they, there seems to be some sort of special connection there. So increasingly, lots of kids with autism are involved in therapeutic horseback riding programs. I did the summer camp that I told you about for, for adjudicated youth, language and literacy impaired adjudicated youth. And we set like literacy goals for those kids on a daily basis. And they had to work for their rides on the horses. And one kid, you know, like one day sort of fooled around, messed around. And he didn't think that he didn't really believe that I wouldn't let them ride. And I didn't let him ride. And that was last time he, he was super motivated too. So we used riding in that context as a motivator. For those, for those kids, they were inner city kids, they had all been in juvenile justice system in some way. And they, that was so much fun, like they loved it so much and they loved the horses, they were inner city kids and the barn, the farm was just amazing for them. Some of my favorite, some of my favorite summer camps. Lots of people with a variety of intellectual disabilities. One of my friends here at the university is into adult neurogenics. And so about four or five years, we did adult survivors of traumatic brain injury with the horses. And that too was just amazing. Like they they worked hard on their skills on the horse. And it, it was just amazing to see them be like really independent at something again. And, you know, for them, we worked on like sequencing. The sequence of getting on the horse was really hard. So we had some. Visual supports for them and following directions, the all the motor stuff that the horse generates, at the same time as them trying to think through the directions, like to follow a obstacle course or something, proved to be very challenging. But so so we were able to adapt those goals to their to their levels. So there there are many populations that I've worked with that can benefit um, a great deal. We have um, a child with Rett syndrome now, which is a neurodegenerative syndrome in children and girls. And the the movement of the horse and just the trunk control that she has to use, her her family feels like it has kept her motor skills going on a lot longer. The, her her level of degeneration has has really slowed down they feel like because of her ability to ride there are lots of kids that are involved in physical therapy where the you know the movement of the horse really works on their core strength and being able to split works on their legs and anyway so those those kids too i have a couple of augmented communication users that we have i don't like mounting augcom devices really On ponies, it just is cumbersome and a little scary and complicated, I think. But I've gotten talking bricks from AbleNet and mounted them on what's called a sleazy, sort of like a pony T-shirt. And put the T-shirt on the pony, mount the talking bricks on the pony to give the pony the commands. Walk on, Trixie, or whoa, Trixie. And so they're single-subject switches and those have worked really well. You could you could probably put several of those on the pony if we're just working on those two things for that one child.
0: Okay. So interesting and so wonderful to hear of all the benefits. And you've worked with so many different people. I know we have a little bit more time and we're going to get into some case studies. So yeah. it's probably really hard for you to pick because you, you have seen so many people with therapeutic horsemen ship, uh, hippotherapy. So when you, when you say, do you say I'm doing hippotherapy or do you, it just depends yeah, upon. It that. depends on the audience.
1: Yeah. You know, if I'm talking to speech pathologists, yeah, I say I'm doing hippotherapy. If I'm talking to an audience of people that are not speech language pathologists, I think therapeutic horsemanship, therapeutic horseback riding is a little more iconic, a term more mutually understood by the general population. A, a hippotherapy, even some, you know, even a lot of speech pathologists have not heard of hippotherapy, mm-hmm. but I can say it and then explain it to an audience of speech language pathologists.
0: Okay. Wonderful. So tell us about a couple of your favorite or most memorable or exciting cases. Yeah. So I've got, I've got w- one kid right now
1: who is, well, I'll say one of my favorites Her mother is fine with me saying her name, her name is Annabelle. And if you are at all involved in SIMU case, she is now a SIMU case case. She is their first therapeutic horseback riding case. And she's also an interprofessional practice case because I collaborate a great deal with her OT and PT. So she has propriaptic acidemia, which is, A very rare condition where she doesn't process proteins correctly. And the proteins in the mother's milk early on were sort of her ammonia levels were huge and were killing off organs. So she had a liver transplant very early on in her life at Pittsburgh Children's Hospital. So um, she has apraxia, pretty severe apraxia, and some motor. Some motor issues. Cognitively, she seems pretty on target so far. She uses an oddcom device. She uses words for life and is a whiz with it. I mean, she like they opened the whole Words for Life program app up to or after probably a month or two of working with her when she was three. I think she started using it when she was three. So I think by four years old, she had the whole app open to her. And she is a whiz at getting through anywhere. She can tell you anything she wants to tell you using that app. But anyway, she is the child that we use the talking, the talking bricks on the pony. Her pony's Trixie. And we use that now there are some activities that I do on the pony where we use the augmented communication device. It's it's real compact. And so so there are some activities where I have the sidewalker carry the device and she's able to use it and say things. If you have SIMU case available to you, it, it's a great case to watch. It it tells you lots about therapeutic horseback riding. Anyway she's one of my favorites. Those guys, that, that group of riders that had spinal cord injuries. I loved working with them too. They, they were just fearless. All three of them were fearless. Like I, I could have told them to jump on that horse and gallop and, and jump a jump and they would have done it. Now we didn't do that, but they were just so ready to do anything. And and super positive all the time that I was really young when I was working with them. And it was just such a great case study for me and optimism in the face of, you know, some severe challenges for, for those people. But I loved working with them. They, they got to ride really independently. They, they were all three really brave and wanted to work really independently. I worked with individually, I worked with an older woman that had had a stroke, and also had like a lot of physical arthritis and things like that. And we just really walked for the most part, did some strong walking and maybe a little trotting for a while on a horse a an amazing saintly horse. And we did it we did the work on a lunge line. She worked on a lunge line around me. So I stood in the center. Of the horse was on a, a line, a rope, and he worked in a circle around me. But again, she was so happy. It was so amazing for her to get on this horse. And, you know, the movement she felt like really helped her arthritis in a very passive way. It was low impact. Work to get her, and we rode early in the morning. And it it was I remember the fall, like it was kind of brisk, and she was loving it, and the horse was loving it, and it was just really fun to work with her. Her stroke had been really mild, really mild, so she wasn't very physically involved. I think she felt like it did more help for her arthritis, and I. Uh, so that makes me think of another woman whose whose daughter is. A physical therapist in in the area here, and she had the the woman had ridden when she was younger, and she had had a severe stroke. Anyway, she had had a severe stroke, and like her great wish was to just be able to sit on a horse again, and we were able to make that happen for her. And she rode a couple of times. And then she passed away shortly after that, but, but like her really like her end of life wish was to be able to ride a horse again. And, and she was able to do that a couple of times, her, it, the stroke had impacted her communication tremendously and, and her physical ability to, and her daughter just still remembers that. And her mom, you know, remembered it. Uh, Anyway, it, it was a big deal to them to be able to do that.
0: How wonderful to be able to give her that wish. Yeah. So she was referred but probably through her daughter. Do you with adults specifically? How do you get referrals to therapeutic
1: course writing? Sure. The, uh, you know, there are some doctors who are aware of it and, and might suggest it. I think that's really pretty few and far between. It's usually families that have heard about it and contact the therapeutic riding program and see if their loved one would be a good candidate for the kinds of things that we do. They get referrals from just a, a variety of places. The therapeutic riding programs, you know, try to be very visible in the community and in a variety of ways. And people hear about it in that way. There are some physicians and pediatricians that have had experience with it and make that referral for some people some, I think, very holistic care kind of medical facilities are tuned into it and might make referrals or suggestions to engage in that in that way. I think just there are a variety of of ways to do there. We, the couple of summers that we did adults with traumatic brain injury survivors, we went to the, to like the support group for those people. There's a support group here in Greensboro. And as I said, my friend who is really into that population teaches our courses in adult neurogenics is very connected with that group. And she just went and said, Hey, you know, we got this. Are you guys interested? Like we didn't know if we'd get enough interest and there was a great deal of interest. Yeah. So we had full summer camp that, that year. And actually we have another professor now that that is doing the same thing and so we're going to try and bring that back for this summer adults adult survivors of TBI, because I, I just really like doing different populations. My typical population is kids, but I really like seeing adults too, so we're going to this summer probably try and see adults.
0: Well, that's great. I know Keys for SLPs, We in our mission, we talk about therapy across the lifespan, and this truly is a therapy across the lifespan. Before we go, we have one question it looks like, but while I'm getting to that question, can you tell us the youngest and the oldest people that you have?
1: Yeah, so the youngest, most programs take kids about three years old. And Annabelle started riding with me when she was three years old. Two years old, some people will take two year olds, but most people wanna start about three years old. And the woman that I told you about that had a mild stroke and some arthritis, I think was about the oldest woman, the oldest person that I've worked with. And I think she was 78. Wow. Um, Yeah. I think seventy-eight is the oldest person that I've worked with. And and I don't remember the age of the woman that had the very severe stroke that rode just a couple times before she passed, but she she may have been even like 80. She was right up there too, 78 or 80.
0: Okay. Have you done any work with Make a Wish Foundation? It seems like this would tie into wish it.
1: It could, no, I haven't. I haven't now. The the riding programs that I work with may have, and I just don't know about it. Done a mm-hmm. um, make a wish for kids that really want to ride, yeah,
0: or adults, yeah, or adults, right, or adults who really want to ride, yeah. I know it is a kid focused program, but in that case, it certainly was an adult wish. Uh, yeah, part of. Well, it looks like we are coming to the end. If there are any other questions, we can answer them if you want to put them in the Q&A or the chat. Otherwise, I want to remind everyone that if you are taking this for live CEUs and your state license requires live CEUs, please log into SpeechTherapyPE.com and complete all the course modules by the end of the day today. And I, on your
1: handout, I've included my email address if you have questions that you want to Check out later, check out the websites of the American Hippotherapy Association and the research that I think is public facing there and the Professional Association of Therapeutic Horsemanship. And thank you so much, Mary Beth, for the opportunity to talk about one of my favorite subjects.
0: Well, thank you for talking about it and informing us all. It is so interesting. And I have a feeling that a lot of people will be looking into this information shortly. And and who knows, knocking on your door to volunteer at one of those camps. Do you, is it is Are the volunteers just local students? Or would there be an opportunity for, like, say, an SLP who works in the school system? Who yeah, has some-
1: absolutely. So we have the camp. Is sort of designed for our graduate students to get their clinical practicum hours. But we do have undergraduates and we've had, you know, licensed speech therapists come and watch, and people are welcome to come and watch or go through volunteer training and become a volunteer. And I think that probably goes for most of the therapeutic writing programs. You can go and observe and see if it's something that turns you on. And if it does, it can go through their volunteer training program and become
0: a volunteer. Okay. Well, thank you so much. And I look forward to seeing you at ASHA. And I'll give you a little break. And then we'll come (laughs) back and talk about community-based speech-language pathologies. Okay.
1: Sounds great. Thanks so much. Take care, everyone. Good luck. Uh,
0: Thank you. Take care, Perry. Bye bye Bye. Thanks for joining us here at Keys for SLPs providing keys to open new doors to better serve our clients throughout the lifespan. Remember to go to speechtherapypd.com to learn more about earning ASHA CEUs for this episode and more. Thanks for your positive reviews and support. I would love for you to write a quick review and subscribe. Keep up the good work.